Hello, everyone at home. I hope uh, you are going well. Sadly, the last few days in uh, Sydney have brought kind of more sad news with more people uh, contracting COVID, more people suffering from COVID and in hospital, and even uh, a death I heard of this morning, which is uh, deeply sad. And uh, I guess that also means for us that for the next few weeks, uh, that's what it seems uh, will be the case, that we'll have to keep things online. Uh, we'll see how things go. And of course, keep an eye on your emails for more information on uh, whether church is in person or not and, and all those kind of things and how it will work. Uh, but as well, gospel teams were due to go back this week. And so uh, please be hearing out from your leaders. Keep an eye on your messages and stuff like that. And they'll let you know what's happening and in what kind of way uh, that you can gather, uh, even if it's just virtual. Um, but still good to be getting together, praying and uh, sharing God's word, even if it is in that distanced way. Uh, the other thing to note is that, as Brendan said before, we have a one-off sermon today. But um, we are next week beginning our new sermon series in the book of 1 Kings. And so if you want to get ahead, uh, read 1 Kings chapters 1 to 4. A great book of the Old Testament that gives us a very, very stark picture of the nation of Israel, but also a chance to see God's work in his people at that time. And then gives us a chance to think about his work in us as well. For now, today we take a one-week break, as I say, between our two sermon series, and we're looking at Psalm 33. And for some reason, for one reason or another, Psalm 33 is probably my favorite psalm over the last few years. Uh, For some reason, I just keep coming back to it. When I'm joyful, I keep coming back to it. Uh, When things are harder, I I come back to it. When big things are happening in the world, like, like COVID, I come back to these words and I read them and meditate on them. Why do I do that? Why am I drawn back to this psalm? Maybe it's because I'm a muso and the first few verses talk about playing on stringed instruments. I love that. Uh, Maybe it's because it reminds me of God's goodness and that he is trustworthy and his power. Uh, Maybe it's because I read it and it makes sense of what I see happening in the world. Maybe this is my favorite psalm uh, for now. Maybe tomorrow it will be a different one. I don't know. Do you have a favorite psalm? I hope you do. After the service, you might like to talk to some people or send them a message and share your favorite psalm with them and why you love it. But maybe for some of us, we haven't read the psalms enough to have a favorite psalm. Maybe you don't know the psalms that well and you haven't really read them. Can I encourage you that great treasure is to be found in reading the psalms? Because, well, what are the psalms? The psalms are a book of 150 songs, poems, and uh, prayers. They're written across a very long time. They're written by many faithful saints in the Old Testament time. Uh, but then all these, uh, all these songs were gathered together into this one book for God's people to read and to use. They help us to know God and how to relate to Him. Uh, they call us to praise Him and respond to Him rightly. And they give us words to pray. And, and words to shape our hearts and minds and lives with. Most of all, they look forward and point us to Jesus, don't they? The King who was to come and the King who has come for us. They help us to understand Him more and more. Uh, so I encourage you to do what many Christians do, what I do, and that is to read a psalm every day. 
Just read them one by one. And when you get to 150, start again. Go back to one and start again. They're just such a great treasure and gift from God to us uh, that we should be reading them and absorbing them and praying them and hearing God speak to us through them. Well, now let's pray as we come to Psalm 33 and what God has to say to us today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Please, we ask that you would humble us before it and help us to respond to it rightly. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as with many of the Psalms, this one starts with a call, a call to action. Straight off the bat, the psalmist calls us to do something here and now. And actually, that is how we should picture the psalm. It helps us to picture uh, the psalm well. Well, How should we picture it? Well, think about this. Imagine there's a gathering of God's people. Uh, you, You know, it's hard to... It's not that hard to imagine because it wasn't that long ago before we were here. Uh, Sadly, we are not here. We can't see it with our own eyes, but you have to picture it. Uh, Imagine, for example, a synagogue or a temple gathering in the Old Testament or a church gathering for us post-Jesus. That's what we should picture when we read this psalm. It's a room full of believers. And imagine that in this room, uh, this psalm, Psalm 33, is being read or maybe even sung by the person out the front, by the leader. And so the leader begins calling everyone to action with the words of this psalm. Or maybe the song was sung collectively as a whole congregation, and so everyone in the room is singing these words to everyone else in the room, calling one another to action, to do something. What is the call of this psalm? We see it in the first verse. Look there. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. The call is to the righteous or to the upright. It's to believers, those who humble themselves before God, those who know his grace and forgiveness, those who trust him and strive to live for him. And this call is for everyone who believes, all of God's people, to worship God, to rejoice in him. That's the words, to rejoice in the Lord, to have joy in him and celebrate him. And for that joy then to overflow from our hearts and out of our mouths, to do what the psalmist calls beautiful or fitting for God's people to do. Praise him, open our mouths and declare his goodness and greatness. Can you picture it? Or can you hear it? It's not a quiet thing, a quiet room that's being pictured here. The leader up the front leads the congregation in song. The congregation joins in together, singing as they call on one another to rejoice. And then in verse 2, if you look there, they call on the musos to join in too, to play, to make a noisy, joy-filled sound in praise to the Lord. Isn't that just a little reminder of what we do? together or what we should do what we wish we could do tonight here in this room we gather to encourage each other to praise god to rejoice in him then and there in that moment each one of us is here each one of us is there in that gathering to call one another to give god the praise he deserves to have joy in him and let that overflow from our mouths That's what we do as we come together, as we pray out loud together, as we sing together, as we share our lives together. 
That's what makes it so sad that we can't be in this room all together here and now. But it's a good reminder, isn't it, of what we're on about, what we do as we gather. And it's a good challenge as well. How do I walk into church? Do I walk into church ready and eager to encourage others to rejoice in God? How do I sing or how do I pray in church? Do I praise God in a way that spurs on my brothers and sisters around me? Do I say amen with any zeal? Do we make a joyful noise together or is it just kind of like a dull murmur in the room? Do we rejoice in the Lord? Now, you might be asking, yeah, but isn't all that a little bit over the top? You're a bit too excited for a cold, wet lockdown Sunday, Troy. It's just, you know, you're a bit too excited. The answer is no. The answer is no, it's not over the top. And that's because God's, this is God's word and it's calling us to do this. And because the psalm goes on to give us reasons why. Three reasons why we should rejoice in the Lord and give him praise. If you have your sermon outline there, it would have come in an email. Uh, uh, and maybe Kevin now will post it in the chat. I don't know. I haven't warned him about that. So he may be scrambling for that. But that's okay. Kevin will forgive me. That's what we've been looking at in Matthew's gospel recently, haven't we? We see the first one uh, there on your outline, but it also will come up on the screen. We see it in verses 4 to 9. Not that one. This one. We rejoice in the Lord for he created by his word. Have a look at verse 4. For the, work, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Why rejoice in the Lord? Because of who he is, because of what he's done. The psalmist puts God's character and his work on display for us. And in particular, he wants to draw us, our attention, to God's word and God's work. And he shows us that the two are actually intimately linked. His word is right. His work is trustworthy. And in fact, his word is his work. He does his powerful work by his word. The psalmist shows us this. Look at verse 6. He says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. This is the first big thing that the psalmist calls us, uh, the, biggest, the big reason to rejoice in the Lord. Because he created the world, the universe, everything in existence, simply by speaking. This is the power our God has. He speaks and it happens. He commands and reality obeys. There is no one like him. Growing up in the northwest suburbs of Sydney, I would often just step outside at night and look at the stars. I would just love to look at them and watch them and give God glory for them. I loved it so much that in high school, uh, one of my major works was taking these photos out the front of my house. Just a camera pointed up at the stars. Uh, at one of the places I lived, you could see a shooting star every few minutes if you were just watching and waiting, maybe even a few per minute. Uh, but now, these days, living around where we live now, closer to the city, we can't see the stars nearly as well. 
And so I never, I, I never really step out and look at the stars anymore. I've just, I've given up. Maybe you don't realize that this is a downside of living where we live. Uh, you can barely see the stars here. COVID has made it just a little bit better because there's less pollution in the air. One small upside. But I can't complain because living where I live now, uh, with all that space in the backyard and all that space in the Bexley church side there, during the day, the sun streams in magnificently. Its light and warmth fills all the, pl- all the area. And especially, it's especially good at the moment because the air is cold, the ground is cold, but the warm sun streams in and its heat pours over everything. Here's my question. Do you know that God, that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, made all of this? The sun, moon, the stars, the clouds, the sky, everything that exists. Now, I'm sure you do know that, and I hope you would say readily, yes, I know, I believe God created the world. But do you know it? That is, do you ever stop and remember this? Do you ever stop and stand in awe at what God has made and therefore in awe of him who made it? Do you stop and purposefully in your heart and mind give him glory for it? For his creative mind that designed everything in its complexity and intricacy. For his power to bring these things from nothing into existence simply by the word of his mouth. And do you stop and remember that this was all, that it was all made through God the Son, through Jesus, that, he, that all these things were made? That's what we read in Hebrews before, Hebrews chapter 1. God made the universe through him. The Son, our Lord Jesus, sustains all things by his powerful word. And so do you ever, verse 8, look there, tremble before the Lord. Before our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and stand in awe of Him. Why? Verse 9, because He spoke, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. In these words, the psalmist calls us, he invites us to rejoice in the Lord, to praise Him for what He has made and the powerful word that did it. Well, that's the first reason, to rejoice in the Lord, his powerful word. What about the second reason? We rejoice in the Lord, for he rules the nations. Have a look at verse 10 with me. It says, The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy or blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh the people he has chosen to be his own possession. Why rejoice in the Lord? Because his plans prevail and our plans, humanity's plans, do not. He rules and we don't. And the psalmist actually does some really clever things with these words. Let's look at it together. And it's actually really helpful to see it. So it's going to come up on the screen. Look at these words and look at the words that he repeats and what he compares says the Lord frustrates the counsel or the wisdom of the nations, the plans of the peoples. But, verse 11, his counsel and his plans stand forever. 
He is sovereign. He is powerful. God is in control. Our counsel and our plans don't stand a chance against his. These words remind me of uh, the, power, the, sorry, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. I hope you know that story. Uh, humanity plans to do something big, to build a big tower to heaven. And in God's righteousness and in his justice, he frustrates their plans. He confuses their language. Just like that, their plans are thwarted. It's over. And this is what God has done over and over and again through history. Nations and kingdoms rise and then they fall because God says so. In his righteousness and justice, he ordains it. That's what the book of Daniel teaches us, if you've ever read that. Well, think about COVID for a second. We don't know exactly why uh, God has allowed COVID to happen in the world. We don't know all the reasons that he has or all the good that he will bring from it. But isn't COVID frustrating the plans of the nations? These words, I think, make sense of what we see happening in the world. Isn't humanity in its pride being brought low, being humbled by God's work through COVID? So that we might recognize we're not in control and that he is? In his righteousness and justice, his plans are prevailing, and ours, humanities, are not. And that help makes us ask, well, what hope then does humanity have? Well, the psalmist, he does some more repetition. And so we're going to have a look again. Look on the screen. Uh, it's wonderful. Verse 10, it says, The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations, the plans of the peoples, but... Verse 12, he blesses the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. Humanity's only hope, your only hope, is to make Yahweh, the one true God, your God. It's to, come, it's to become one of his people, his own possession. Through faith, through trusting in Jesus, his son, in his, in his death, which purifies us from sin, which we read before in Hebrews, that's what it means. Coming to Jesus, the heir of all things, Hebrews says, who sits at God's right hand, ruling and reigning. You are blessed. You have an eternal hope if you come to him, worship him, no matter what happens in this life, no matter how the nation's plans are thwarted, the Lord cares for his people. His plans and purposes flourish. And so his people are blessed. So rejoice in the Lord, for he rules the nations and he blesses his people. That's the second reason. What about the third reason? We rejoice in the Lord, for he alone sees all. Look at verse 13 with me. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. Why rejoice in the Lord? Because only he sees and knows us all. Uh, he has a high vantage point. He has the highest vantage point that can exist, heaven. From heaven, from his dwelling place, he can see us all. He can see everything and everyone. But he can also see us up close. 
Look at verse 15. He, God, alone shapes their hearts. He considers all their works. See, he created our hearts and minds. He knows how they work. He formed our psyche, our inner being. He sees us because he made us. He knows what we are like. So God sees all of us, but he also sees all of us. He sees all of me and all of you. With perfect clarity, he sees our thoughts and actions. With perfect insight, he sees everything we think and say and do. That's a humbling thing, isn't it? In fact, it's a terrifying thing. Because the holy God of the universe can see all my sin, all my selfish thoughts, all my secret desires, the lust, the hatred, the anger, the things you and I would be ashamed for anyone to know. God sees it all. Now, how is that worth? How is that something worth rejoicing in, in praising God for? Something so humbling, so terrifying. It is, it isn't, except for verse 18. Look at these beautiful words with me. Verse 18. Now the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Yes, the Lord sees all people, but his eye is on those who fear him, those who depend on him and his love. His eye, that is his loving eye, is on his people, set on them. He looks at them to bless them. It's the loving look of a parent to a child. Uh, you pay close attention to your kid, don't you? you at least you should. Uh, you have your eye on them to care for them. You watch them in case they fall over and hurt themselves. Uh, you watch them so they don't put dangerous things in their mouth and swallow them and then have to be taken to hospital. Uh, the parent who's always looking at their phone, not their child, well, they might be failing to love their child because they're not watching them with their eye. God's eye of love is set on his people, on you and me, if we are people who fear him, people who depend on him. And for Israel, this meant in the Old Testament that God would save them literally from death. He would give them food during a famine. He would make sure that they lived through the struggles that they were facing. There were many ways that he blessed them and saved them physically. And God can and still does provide for his people today through hard times. The fact that you are alive today and that you are watching this right now is proof of this. It's testament. God is providing for you. You have all you need right now to live through this pandemic. He has given it to you. His eye of love is on you. But isn't it much more than that? More than just our physical needs that he meets. Don't we know that God's eye of love uh, is on us more than Israel did? Because we know God shows his love ultimately through Jesus. We know that through Jesus, God delivers us from death once and for all. We know the one, as Hebrews puts it later on, the one who tasted death for everyone. The one who became flesh so that through his death he might destroy the power of death and the devil and free all those who are enslaved to death. You 
You see, God's eye of love is on those who fear him, on those who depend on his love, the love that sent his son to the cross for us to deliver us from death and give us eternal life. That is worth rejoicing in, isn't it? That is worth praising God for. And that's the third reason uh, to rejoice in the Lord. He sees us all, but more than that, his eye of love is on us, his people. But then uh, the psalm finishes with the response of God's faithful people. At the beginning, the call was to rejoice in the Lord because he created by his word, because he rules the nations, because he sees all. But now, at the end, in light of all of that, is the response. And the response is, God, is, the response is simply to trust in God because we know these things about him. Uh, look at the words he uses in verse 20 and on. Uh, they're all words of wholehearted trust. Verse 20, look at it. it. says, we wait for Yahweh. When you trust someone, you're willing to wait for them, aren't you? He is our help and shield. We trust he will help and protect us. Verse 21, for our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. And verse 22 is a prayer at the end. May your faithful love rest on us, Yahweh, for we put our hope in you. Waiting, trusting, hoping. That's the response. Because if you know the God who created the world by his word, if you know the one who rules the nations, if you know the one who sees all, if his eye of love is set on you, if you know he is on your side, then you can trust him. You can trust that he will fulfill all his promises to his people. And just like Israel, we wait for God to fulfill all his promises to us, don't we? We know his promise to save us, to forgive us, to make us like Jesus. And we wait for the hope of life in his new creation when Jesus returns. We know he will defend us. We know he will give us the help we need to persevere till that final day. We know that nothing can separate us from God's love that is in Jesus. And so we wait in trust knowing our hope is certain. Waiting, trusting, hoping, and rejoicing in the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks again for your word. We thank you for humbling us before you as we see you in your majesty and might, in your glory, and also in your grace and mercy. As you care for us, your people, as you sent your Son for us, and as you call us to rejoice, to shout for joy, to sing and give you glory, to open our mouths in praise to you for all these wonderful things about you. And we pray that you would help us to heed that call to rejoice in you and also to trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.